Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. Thank you. I know you're awake. I heard you worshiping this morning. I was so excited when Nicole shared with me several months ago that she was going to introduce that song during our series in the Gospel of Luke, Give Me Jesus. Such an appropriate song. We are in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus, and this morning I want to pick it up in chapter 12, verse 54. I know some of you that heard the message from last week or were here goes, well, we were already in that passage. You're right. We're going to actually pick it up, back up a little bit, and sweep into chapter 13 this morning. I've entitled this section of the story of Jesus, The Clock is Ticking. And I think you'll see how Jesus presses in on that point throughout this passage this morning. In fact, he begins in verse 54 again, talking to those who are around him about how accurate they could be in deducing the weather. He says to them in verse 54, you can look up at the sky and you can see the clouds forming in the west and you know that a rainstorm is coming. And he says, then you can tell when the wind begins to blow from the south that it's going to be a scorching heat that day. He says, how is it that you are so good at being able to look up at the sky and figure out what the weather is and prepare for it, and yet how can you not know how to interpret or discern the present time? And remember, Jesus is always talking about time in relationship to opportunity. Time is opportunity. And Jesus is saying to all of us, are you making the most of your time and your opportunity? Are you living with a sense of urgency? Are you living with the notion that the clock of your life is always ticking and you only have so much time here on earth, and especially to those that were listening to him that morning. He's saying, your Messiah is standing right before you. The one who can satisfy, the one who can save. Are you making the most of the opportunity that you are one of the privileged few that, that are here on earth when the Messiah is physically present? Are you making the most of those opportunities? It's something all of us have to come to grips with. Think about our life, how quickly our life is going, and realizing, are we making the most of the opportunities and the time that God is giving us here on this earth? But then we go to verse 57 through 59. And Jesus continues to press that point by saying these words. He says, and why is it that you are not doing what is right? In a sense, knowing that the clock is ticking. Why are you not judging for yourselves what is right? Why are you not then knowing that that opportunities are limited, why are you not being more decisive 
and doing what you know you should be doing. And he goes into this story about saying, if you are on the way to a judge, isn't it better to make sure that you do everything you can to try to settle out of court before you get to the judge? It's always better to settle before you get to the judge, if at all possible. Because Jesus is saying at the end in verse 59, oh, there's coming a day if you don't settle, things will be settled. So what's he saying to the crowd? What's he saying to us? He's saying, if you look at it in verse 58, I'll pull out this phrase, make every effort to settle. Make every, endeavor earnestly to settle in your life what needs to be settled. So, first of all, Jesus would say, is there something that you and I need to settle with God? Clock's ticking. And we want to make sure that we could settle that here rather than the day we stand before him one day. Better to settle it with God now than wait till then. How about settling something with someone else, another person? Isn't it better to seek to settle whatever I have with somebody else that I know sort of hanging out there that I need to settle with them? Because Jesus is saying one day, it will get settled. It will get settled in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So why not settle it now when you have the opportunity? God is giving us the opportunity to settle things. Someone may ask, how do I know what I need to settle and what I don't? I'll answer that this way. You know you need to settle something with God or with someone else when you're unsettled. If you're unsettled, then that means it needs to be settled because it's something that's there in your mind and in your heart and you're always thinking about it. It needs to be resolved. And so Jesus is starting out by saying, guys and gals, you're so good at being able to discern the weather, how comes you can't discern the time in which you're living and begin to make the most of your opportunity and realize that you and I only have so much time to settle things with God and with one another while we're here on earth because we only get one life. That's it. That's it. One opportunity on earth to live our life, and that's it. Then comes eternity. Which is why then when we come finally into chapter 13 this morning, Jesus is going to teach us in these five verses how we should view tragedy around us. The first thing comes up whenever 
a group of people asked Jesus, Jesus, have you heard about what Pilate did to a group of worshipers from Galilee? How he murdered them while they were in Jerusalem just worshiping God? And in a sense, I can almost hear them say, yeah, we know the times in which we're living. It's bad. Because people can't even go to the house of God and be safe. They're being murdered while they're trying to worship. We know, Jesus, the times in which we're living, how bad it is. But that's not where Jesus went. First of all, he wants to address a problem in their theology, and he does it in both instances, because later on, he also says, I also know about 18 people that lost their life when a tower fell on them and crushed them. And in both cases, Jesus brings up something. He says, I suppose you think that the people that were murdered by Pilate while worshiping God and the 18 who tragically died in a catastrophe in Salome, that somehow they were worse sinners than everybody else. And Jesus saying, let's settle that right here. The Bible teaches that the rain falls on the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. But that also means that tragedy and death and suffering and pain happen to everyone. Just because something happens to someone in a tragic way, whether it be a natural catastrophe or an accident or, or some terrible deed that was done at the hands of someone else, Jesus says, that doesn't mean that somehow they deserved what they got. What it shows is that we live in a world of sin. And sin brings problems. Sin brings pain. Sin brings suffering. Sin means we live in a very broken world where at times people are going to be hurt and injured and even killed by other people. And there's going to be natural disasters that just happen that take the lives of individuals. That's all part of living in a sin-cursed earth, on a sin-cursed earth, and, and being part of a world that sin is inhabited. Death has come upon all because all have sinned, the Bible says. So Jesus doesn't focus on the time of death of all these individuals or the cause of death. Notice where Jesus goes. Both in verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus says something very powerful. He turns to those who are still alive, and he says to them, unless you repent, you all too will perish. See, to Jesus, this information that is given about the tragic loss of life should be a reminder to all of us about how fragile our earthly lives are and should be a reminder to us about our own mortality. In fact, in Psalm 90, verse 12, we are reminded 
that Moses wrote, so teach us God to consider our mortality so that we might live more wisely. Making the most of our opportunity because we're not going to be around forever. All of us are going to have to come to grips with the fact that we are mortal and we're going to die one day and we could die at any point in our life. I'm going to come back to this in just a little bit later, but I do want to press on one more point here. And that is just a reminder from my own, and maybe because I'm a pastor, obviously I have a little bit of a different perspective because I do deal with death maybe more than you do individually in your family or in your life because I do memorial services and funerals and all of that. But even in my own personal life, I had to deal with death at a very young age. I was actually present when my own grandmother just dropped over and died. I was five years old. It was just her and me in the laundry room of her house. I didn't even know several of my grandparents because they had actually passed before I was even born. And then my brother and sister died before I was born at a very young age. The first funeral I ever did as a pastor in the state of New York, 10-year-old girl who tragically died in an accident. The first funeral I ever did in my home state of Maryland was a young man, 20 years old, who had an accident where he worked, left behind a wife and a young child. I'm telling you this just to remind all of us what Jesus said. The question is not when I'm going to die or how I'm going to die. That's up to God. The question is, am I ready to die? Because unless we repent, we're going to suffer the loss of all that's worthwhile. You see, repentance can change death from a tragic event into the prospect of unending glory. That's what it can do. He continues to press on this point of the clock is ticking when you come down to chapter 13 and verse 6. He gives his audience the story of a man who owned a vineyard and planted a fig tree. And after year after year, the man who planted the fig tree kept coming to his vineyard and looking for fruit, and he never found fruit on the fig tree. He goes out to the fig tree this day, and he's going to cut it down. And the worker of the vineyard pleads with the owner of the vineyard. He says, look, just give it a little bit more time. Just just." Another opportunity. Let, let me fertilize it. Let, let me care for it one more year. And if you come out next year and it has no fruit, then we'll cut it down. Why is Jesus giving this story to his audience? Because he's telling both individuals and the nation of Israel to whom that fig tree represents. Judgment is coming if things don't change. Eternity is headed your way, whether you 
are ready for it or not. And as the one who is willing to hold off judgment, it is a reminder to us that God is so patient with us and gives us so many opportunities to settle things and make them right throughout our earthly life. In fact, Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9 that the Lord is not slow concerning his promise to come back, as you might think. But he's long-suffering and patient because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Though maybe many mock his promise to come back and for things to be ever changed, he's actually being merciful and gracious to give people a, just another opportunity to come to him before it's too late. Amen. Or for us as Christians to settle things that need to be made right in our life before he comes back. And that's why he tells this story. And then we come to this beautiful story beginning in verse 10 of chapter 13. The Bible tells us that Jesus is once again teaching the word of God in the house of God. And I just want to stop there for a moment. And again, let's all be reminded that this shows even by Jesus' actions. These are two very heavy priorities in his life, and therefore they should be two priorities in our life. You always see Jesus teaching the word, which means the word of God is of high value and high priority to Jesus, and you always see him. Where do you find him? In the house of God. And in the house of God that day, we are informed in verse 11 that there is a woman who has been disabled for 18 years. In fact, she is bent over and she can't even straighten her body up. First of all, I want to commend that woman. She probably doesn't feel 100%, and yet she's made the effort to be at the house of God. Sometimes we're perfectly healthy and we blow off being in the house of God, and here's a woman who's really hurting, and yet she makes the effort to be there. And I think she's glad she did because Jesus was at the house of God that day. And the Bible says this, and I want you to really zero in on verse 12. It says, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Don't miss that phrase. Jesus is still in the business of calling people to himself today. In fact, this morning, whether it's as for those of you that are watching from your homes, live stream, or those of us who are here this morning, Jesus is still calling us to himself today. I can't help but think of that phrase out of verse 12 and not think of Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is light to carry. Come to me. Jesus doesn't say you and I have to do anything else. We don't have to try to do anything. All we have to do is just make the decision to come to him. He turns to the woman and he calls her to come to him. And then he says this, woman, you are freed from your infirmity. And that word free means to be set free completely and fully. That reminds me of John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you are really free. Jesus is not only here calling us to himself today, he is calling us to himself so that we can be truly free. Free. Are you free today in Jesus? We did a lot of singing about that concept today, about being free, and we're going to do it at the end of our service too. Only Jesus can set us free, completely free, fully free. And then the Bible says in verse 13, he came and he placed his hands upon her, And she straightened up immediately and praised God. I love the word straightened here. It means to be restored. It means to be made fit again. Jesus wants to restore us and can restore us. He he wants to make us fit again. He wants to align us, if you will. I mean, this woman had the best chiropractor anybody could have ever had. Jesus didn't even need to do any adjusting. He just had to say the words. He placed his hands upon her, and immediately everything was right. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, you'll read there then in verse 14 that the president of the synagogue, he is indignant. He is freaking out. How dare you, Jesus, do this on the Sabbath? And Jesus basically looks at them who are complaining about it and rebukes them as hypocrites. He says, How hypocritical of you all to criticize me for helping this woman and healing her on the Sabbath. You take care of your animals, Jesus says, on the Sabbath. Why not take care of a human being? Isn't a human being of greater value than an animal? You make sure that your animals have everything that they need. Why not the daughter of Abraham, who's been bound, notice, verse 16, by Satan... For these long 18 years, why not let her be free? By the way, this would be a whole message in itself, but I want some of you to begin to see this. Notice that Jesus equates her physical disability and infirmity with the work of Satan. Did you see that? 
You know, the Bible never talks about anything other than it being associated, whether it's mental or physical, with the work of Satan. Under the sovereignty of God, but always with the work of Satan. In fact, it's described as a spirit that has disabled her. And then down in verse 16, he describes it as Satan literally taking her captive for 18 years. That's what the word bound means. And Jesus is basically saying in verse 16, well, what better, more fitting, more appropriate day for her to find her freedom than when the people of God are assembled in the house of God worshiping God? What better, more appropriate day to see a miracle and to see people being set free? That's Jesus' response. And I would say amen to that. So I'm saying to some of you today, what better, more appropriate, more fitting day than for you to allow God to do a work in your life like never before? Let Jesus set you free. Let this be the opportunity that God is giving you to settle something with God or maybe with someone else. But my friends, the clock is ticking. And Jesus is saying here, you and I only have so many opportunities. So let me go back to chapter 13, the first five verses. I want to zero in on what Jesus said in verse 3 and 5. Unless you and I repent, and the word repent means to have a change of heart toward God. Unless you and I repent, we will all perish. And the word perish simply means we will lose what is most worthwhile for all of eternity. Because what is most worthwhile can only be given to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. I felt very impressed as I was preparing for today that God wanted me, though I don't do it a lot, to be an evangelist today. That's not my calling. That's not my gifting. But I am, it's very clear God wants me to be an evangelist today. Because I don't want to take for granted that any of you who may be watching from your homes today or any of you who are present today, that you have a personal relationship with God. I don't want to take that for granted. Like, well, they came to church today. That must mean they're saved. No. I know in every church I've ever pastored, there are people who are not saved. That's the reality. Jesus had one of his own 12 disciples who followed him for three years who wasn't a true believer. Jesus even says there's going to be the day of judgment where people are going to say, well, Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do miracles in your name? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Pretty impressive resume, but they're not going to be in heaven. Because to be in heaven means that there was a time in your life and my life where we acknowledged that we were a sinner. And that there was no way we could be good enough, religious enough, and all of that to save ourselves. That the only answer 
was to call upon the name of the Lord, to trust in what Jesus did on the cross, to trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, to realize that he was the substitute for me and that he took my sin and your sin upon himself and that that was crucified on the cross. And if I simply believe in him and what he did for me, if I simply place my personal faith and trust completely in what he's done, the Bible says I will be saved. And that the Holy Spirit then will come into my life and will indwell me, and I will then for, from there forevermore be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I will have a personal relationship with God. And I will go from being one who is outside of God and going to perish one day apart from repentance to now one who has repented, had a change of heart toward God, asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and now I'm a child of God. And I'm asking all of you today, have you done that? I'm not asking you if you're a good person because none of us are good enough. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not asking you, you know, all of these other things. I'm asking you, does Jesus know you personally? Will he say that day when you and I die, yes, I knew them. I, I had a relationship with them, a personal relationship with them. Not religion, relationship. Because we must come to grips with our mortality. And none of us knows the day we're going to leave this earth and go into eternity. I've told you before, there have been many Sundays throughout my 38 years as a pastor I preached to a group of people on Sunday, and by the next weekend, I had buried somebody who was there. I'm not doing this to scare us. Jesus didn't do this to scare us. He loves us. He's doing this to say, settle it. Then you won't have to worry about it. Then it doesn't matter when you die or how you die. You've got unending glory waiting on you. Because this life is not what we should be wrapping our lives up with. We just sung about that with Give Me Jesus. The world, as Nicole said, has nothing lasting to offer us. But if we know Jesus, then the worst thing that can happen to us is we die, oh, and we go to glory forever and ever. Will you trust Jesus today? Listen, John said, I have written you the things I have written you so that you might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. I'm asking every one of you that's within the sound of my voice, do you know that you know? Do you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because if you have any question at all, settle it. Settle it. Make sure 
that before you leave even this place today, that you have settled that because it's the most important thing you and I could ever settle. If that means you want to talk to me, you want to talk to one of our elders, you want to talk to anybody here that you trust, that's okay. We will make ourselves available because there's nothing that would bring me more joy than to lead someone to the Lord today or just to have me be an instrument that God uses to settle that and nail that down in your life. I don't want anyone who comes to the oasis under my pastoral leadership one day to get out to eternity and go, I was at the oasis and I never heard how I could have a relationship with Jesus. I went there for years and Pastor Jeff never talked about it. He never told us about the urgency of making that decision. I don't want that to be the case. I want you to know that if you go out into eternity and you go out from this place, you know you had the opportunity. You had the opportunity. On February the 19th, 2023, God gave us all an opportunity. And he is saying to us, Make every effort to settle. Now's the time to get things right. Now's the time you can be set free. He's calling us to come to him. Let's come to him today. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. As always, during our worship time, you don't need me or anybody else to do business with God. But you may want me to pray for you about something, or you may want to talk to me, or maybe grab another leader or something here. That's fine. I just want you to come to Jesus today, however that looks. So would you stand with me and let me close this in prayer before we go into our time of worship and reflection and decision today. Oh, Father, I, I pray today, God, that we would make the most of this opportunity today that we would not let another day, another Sunday, another hour, Lord, pass by and just make it business as usual. God, you want to do some stuff here today. Yes. You're giving us a tremendous opportunity for us to settle some things with you, with others, whatever need be. And you're so patient, God. You're so long-suffering. You give us opportunity after opportunity, God, to be set free, to make things right. And God, I pray that we won't let another opportunity go. And Lord, if there's 
anyone here today that does not have a personal relationship with you through your son Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. What better day to be saved than in the house of God with God's people, all cheering and rejoicing. What better day to be set free from whatever has got a hold of us. What better day than today, God? May we make the most of this opportunity, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.